So I'm just going to dive right into things tonight and, uh, and just kind of pick up where I left off last week. And um, let me just pray real quick. Lord, would you just come and just, Lord, use this inadequate man, God, to just speak truth tonight. Lord, I thank you that, that Lord, if you can use donkeys, you can use me. God, I just thank you that, that, Lord, you would just bless the hearer tonight to hear your word. God, we just pray that it would be revelation to our heart to bring salvation and healing deliverance to our life. In Jesus' name, amen. So, all right, so last week, yeah, did I drop the gauntlet? Sure I did. It's all good. We can still be friends. Come on. It's all right. So, um, let, let me say this. You know what? When the plumb line drops, man, it's a straight line. Okay, it's a straight line and everything has to build from that place. And so all, all my heart is just to, to read scripture, read what the truth says, declare it, and then us rejoice what the truth says. Um, now, having said all of that, I, I want to say that we move from that place and then we got to start asking more questions. Last week, we were just, just bringing truth, man. Here's what the truth says about some of these issues that have people kind of, you know, kind of all messed up inside internally. Um, but here's where we are tonight, where we are today, is we've got to realize that God has called us to engage culture, okay? God has called us to engage the culture that we live in today, all right? And, and so it doesn't matter, you know, what's been going on all across our country or what's going on all across the world. We cannot lose sight of this reality. God put us here for such a time as this. And the question is, what are we going to do? What are we going to do with what we've been given? You know, the opportunities that he's put in front of us. And so this first week, you know, I just kind of entitled this Engaging Culture, the Sovereignty of God Amidst Wicked Generation and Leaders. Um, and you say, wow, dude, that's kind of wicked. <laughs> um, the Bible might use other words. You know, that was kind of, I thought that was kind of nice. Um, yeah. Here's, here's the reality. What, what do I mean by, by wicked? Anything that's not of God. Let's just, let's just be real, real clear here. We can't pick and choose what sins we think are worse. It's all sin. It's all sin. So I can look around and see evil in the earth. Okay. And, and you know, one of, one of the great evils that, that really don't really get talked about a whole lot is called arrogance and pride and corruption. Like, we like to pick on those guys who maybe, you know, the, 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 the rock and roll and the drugs and the sex and stuff like that. I get it. It's all bad. It all breaks. It all ends in destruction and death. You know, but so, so does pride. You know, so does corruption. And, um, and you, that we have a, a system that's full of it. And so, <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, um, you know, I, I wanted to come at this tonight and talking about engaging culture. And man, I feel so encouraged as I begin to look at scripture and looked at other people's lives in times that are worse than what you or I are under right now and how they were able to engage culture, how they were able to engage the time that they were living in and make a difference for the kingdom of God. If you got your Bibles, I told you last week, get a Bible. I had somebody, Brent was, he was showing me his Bible. He's like, I got pages tonight. <laughs> um, turn over to the book of Daniel. And um, I'm probably going to read a lot of scriptures. I actually have quite a bit of stuff prepared. I don't think I'm going to get through all of this, honestly. <clears throat> it's, it's really, it's quite a lot um, to kind of work through. 
Uh, so I'm going to try to just take time and, and read through some of this stuff and kind of pause and let the Holy Spirit teach us some things. You know, we need revelation of the word. <clears throat> Why do I say revelation? Because I know scholars who are atheists that read this Bible and they know it better than us in some ways, but they've got no revelation of it. It's the revelation of the word that will bring salvation, man. Revelation. So engaging culture. There are four truths that I believe you need to get settled in your heart as a Christian. Four truths. And, and I'm just going to kind of give you these four things that I really don't think I'm going to get through all four of them tonight. I think this will just kind of build, you know, over the weeks to come. But one of the first truths that you've got to get rooted down inside of your Christian heart is that God is a sovereign God. He is sovereign. Period. Exclamation point. And he does not need to consult man to do what he does. He does not need my opinion. He does not need counsel from man to do what he's going to do. He is sovereign in all his ways. And so getting that settled in our heart can help us understand how do we begin to engage culture. I want to look at and, and one particular person's life in the Bible that I believe is a great picture for us to read through and to look at, and that's the life of Daniel. Looking at the life of Daniel, Daniel was living in a time period where the children of Israel were taken into captivity. That was not a good situation. That was not a fun time. Um, when, when you think about you know, being taken captive, that's not somebody capturing you to take you to a party. You know, that's not a blind date that you're interested in meeting the other person. That, this, is a, this is a bad situation. Could you imagine your children, your mom, your dad that's in their 60s and 70s all of a sudden being hauled off to another place? being taken by force, not because they want to go, but because they're being made to go. Captivity is not a good thing. And Daniel is, is a book that's written about that time of when wickedness was operating through a political and governmental and religious system. And I think this is so encouraging that we can look at this word and God begin to give us revelation of how we can engage right where we are today. Look at Daniel chapter one. I'm gonna read a lengthy passage of scripture and then I'm gonna kind of pull some pieces out and, and break a few things down for us tonight. Daniel chapter one, verse one. Do we, look at there, it's on the screen. That's awesome. Come on, hey, I can, an old dog can learn new tricks, right, Steve? Somebody, uh, somebody said, could you like put that up on the screen, you know, so, because sometimes I get it wrong and then I move too fast. And so look at there, God's good. <laughs> so are you guys. <laughs> In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered 
Aspenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine. From the king's table, they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. And we know these men, Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah, were a few of these individuals that were being trained to be put into the king's service. When you look at verse 2 of chapter 1, a very interesting statement is made right here in the very first part of this sentence. Listen to this. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim was a uh, king of Judah. And if you look back at his life, he was not ruling according to God God's ways, if you will, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll get to that in just a moment. But this phrase right here, the Lord, is actually, if you look at it in its Hebrew form, is, is not the typical word that is used, Yahweh, is not used here. There's a different translation of this word, Adonai. And this particular word is selected by Daniel for a reason because what it actually means. It literally means owner, ruler, or sovereign. Owner or ruler or sovereign. That this is not just any Lord. This is not just Yahweh a God. This is the God of all creation that is in charge of everything that's going on. He is the boss. And it says, that Lord delivered Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand. It's not, when you're reading the Bible, sometimes we can read through and think there's so much going on there. How do I understand it? It's just so much. But I assure you, there are no unnecessary details in the scripture. If we take the time to process and to pray, we will begin to gain revelation. God delivered the king of Judah into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. That's what it says. The sovereign, in control God delivered the king of Judah into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. Nebuchadnezzar, a little bit of background on him, is a king of greatness. He is ruling and reigning. Everywhere he's going, he is totally dominating. Let me tell you how fearsome it would be if, if, if just to kind of put a, a little bit of a picture for you for just a moment. Could you imagine if you heard that the, ISIS, because we can all relate to ISIS, right? We, we know what they're doing around the Middle East, right? We got a clear picture there. Could you imagine if a massive army with that type of behavior and culture said, hey, America, I'm coming for you. 
See, when Nebuchadnezzar was coming to town, everybody's freaking out because they realize captivity means death and destruction and slavery. This guy is not a joke. But I find it really interesting that Daniel doesn't say that King Nebuchadnezzar is going to dominate and rule because of his military might. It's not what it says. It says the Lord delivered Jehoiakim into his hand. Why? We're going to find out. If you look at 2 Chronicles chapter 36, maybe we can put that up on the screen. Look at there. Man, this is awesome tonight. It's <laughs> so cool. I guess, you know, new things for me. Second Chronicles chapter 36. Listen at Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, his God. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, attacked him and bound him with bronze shackles to take him to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar also took to Babylon articles from the temple of the Lord and put them in his temple there. See, we look at that and we think that is like, we, we got to get perspective here. Jehoiakim as a king is supposed to be leading and, 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 and leading with God's mind, God's righteousness, fulfilling what the Lord wants. And he is totally in sin, totally allowing pagan worship to take place and to foreign gods. And this is, this is called a spanking now. That's what it is. And God is not some unjust, merciless God. I mean, if you actually look at the, the heart of the Lord, you find out it's actually not like that at all. I, I want to read to you another passage of scripture from the prophet Habakkuk. And if you look at the timelines of Daniel and Habakkuk and, and, and some of these these guys were contemporaries. They were living during the same time period. Look, listen at how what Habakkuk is dialoguing to the Lord about. This is Habakkuk chapter 1. Look at, let me pick up here to verse 2. It says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed. And justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. See, we lack justice, it's perverted. There's corruption. Innocent blood is being shed. And so Habakkuk is crying out to the Lord and he's trying to get perspective and then the Lord answers him. Listen to what he says right here in verse five. 
Imagine if he just called you by name. Habakkuk, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Let me tell you something. God is doing a work in your day. He is doing a work right now that if he were to, to reveal it to you, it'd split your mind wide open. He says, for behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it away. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. That's Nebuchadnezzar. Get a picture. Get a picture of, of who God chose as an instrument to correct an evil nation, a king, Jehoiakim. Now, here's the deal. God, God gave the children of Israel hundreds of years to repent. The Bible says that he is patient and long-suffering. He's given them hundreds of years to repent and to turn their hearts back to him. He's not bringing judgment without giving time for repentance. He's not a God who is mercilessly just, just doesn't care about humanity. He loves humanity. And he's calling a people to himself. He's giving them opportunity to repent. But if you look at Daniel chapter 9, verse 6, Daniel chapter 9, verse 6, listen at what Daniel actually says. Daniel's in a moment where he's crying out to the Lord and he's repenting for the nation. And this is what he says. Daniel 9, 6. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. If God cannot get our attention by speaking into our ear, do you know what starts happening? The ground will begin to shake. See, if he can't speak to us and get our attention, then he'll just let the earth begin to shake a little bit. It's amazing at what, what earthquakes do to people. When everything is shaking around you, it gets your attention. 
And here's the reality. God is allowing some things to be shaken in their day and in their time because he is unwilling to let a people just go in a direction. And here's what I'm, the, the first thing that we have to get really settled down inside of our heart is God is sovereign and God is sovereignly allowed certain things to happen and God is sovereignly causing this nation to take notice of Judah because he's like, you're going into captivity. Because of this rebellion, this is where you're going. But here's what I find so amazing that even in the midst of this captivity, God has allowed Daniel and his friends to serve this ungodly king, kingdom, and culture. God, in his sovereignty, allowed Daniel and his friends to be put in a circumstance and a place where he, they had to serve the king and the culture of that day. So despite what we see in our nation happening, you and I are in a situation in a place where, thank God we don't have the same circumstances at this moment right now that, that Daniel is dealing with. Thank God. I tell you, if you want to know why I can worship and dance and pray and the way I do, man, is because, dude, I just know how bad things can get. I just, I just, I'm, I'm going to worship with all my heart. I'm going to give him all that I have. Because you know what? I don't know. Maybe my worship is kind of like, I don't know. Maybe, I, maybe we could be a part of like Abraham and Lot. You know, maybe, maybe a few crying out could, you know, hold things off. I don't know. You don't know what your worship and your praise, that incense that goes to heaven before the Lord. You don't know what mercy that may be bringing to other people around you. We have no idea. I said this to our team this past Tuesday. I'm going to say it publicly because there's a lot of people that have, I see on Facebook, they get really um, judgmental with all the stuff going on in, with the gay and lesbian situation and the, the rainbow, the flag and stuff like that. I mean, you know, something hit me in my heart that I had never taken the time to process I just feel like this was from the Lord to me, whether it's for you, I don't know, but it gave me a perspective. You know, when, when Noah came out of the flood, the Lord allowed a rainbow to cover them to be a sign that, that judgment would not come in that way again. Just imagine if every time God sees that flag, it reminds him. I'm going to show you mercy. Where I've been full of, where we've been full of hatred or bitterness or anger or whatever it is, and God shows mercy. Because that rainbow, he said, would be a sign for a promise to never destroy the earth again with a flood. See, that's revelation. That's, that's something different. See, when we begin to think about how we're going to engage culture, are we going to engage culture with judgment and wrath that is not ours to dole out? Or are we going to engage it with mercy and love and serving? See, I need to be in a place that I'm on a foundation that my God is sovereign. 
He is in control of the Babylonians who are taking the Israel, the, the, the Judah captive. He's in control of that. He allowed them to be delivered into their hand. That's what the word says. But see, I can, like Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah, I can engage the culture of my day and leave a mark. How can I do that? Let's look at Habakkuk chapter 2. Look at Habakkuk chapter 2. If you, if you just kind of act like you get something caught in the back of your throat right there, you can say that real good. Habakkuk. That's how you do that. And you, sound, and you can sound Hebrew-like. <laughs> how did they do it? This is how I believe it's going to get done. Just kind of hold your place there for a moment. We got to decide... Who is our real enemy here? People is not who our enemy is with. Our war is not with flesh and blood. Our war is spiritual. It's the reason why scripture says in the New Testament that we do not war against flesh and blood, but against rulers and powers in dark high places principalities and he says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds what are strongholds strongholds are belief systems and worldviews that that are up here and as a generation of people that are not repentant they're not repentant to God they disregard God they open themselves up to be influenced by those forces they're, they're, they're influenced by darkness. And so you and I have the opportunity, if you have a strong foundation that you serve a sovereign God, you have this foundation that, wait a minute, I don't have to fight with you. I take my plea here, who has authority to deal with you. And you don't think God can deal with you? We'll get to it because we're going to stay in Daniel for a period of time. But he can take the most mighty, powerful king on the planet and make him live like an animal in a field. That's what this God can do. Let me tell you something right now. I'm not nervous about presidents or politicians because if my God can take a king who thinks he is stronger and mightier than anyone on the planet and he was in his day and have him eating grass tomorrow... Do you think he's nervous? He is not nervous. Neither should you be. You should not be nervous. If you want to be nervous about something, be nervous that you're a lukewarm follower. If you really want to be scared about something, be scared about the fact that you're not burning white hot and fire on fire in love with Jesus. That's what I'd be nervous about. I'd be nervous that I'm living a distracted life and more of the world is living in me than more of his word. That's what I would be nervous about. Because I'm not, I'm not concerned about the forces out here. All I can be concerned about is what's happening right here. Is those songs we were singing about, am I experiencing the wind of his presence and spirit flowing and blowing through the caverns of my soul? That's what he is looking for. Vessels that will open themselves up. Listen right here in Habakkuk. This is how Daniel... And his friends were able 
to work through a demonic, wicked generation of leaders. Look at verse four. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith or faithfulness. You want to know how Daniel made it through that wicked and perverse leadership? Getting on his knees three times a day. How how these men made it through being able to serve in the king's table. Because let me tell you something right now. That was not an easy situation. Some of you have to go into work environments and business deals and school situations. And you know what? You can't go in there blowing and going with guns blazing with your your, your Bible just kind of throwing to smack Jesus smack down on them. Even though some of y'all probably do. You won't do that for too long. You get fired. And then what good? Then what good is it going to be if you're not there? We need to have wisdom. Maybe the Lord is putting you in an environment because, man, you are silently working for him behind enemy lines and not taken out because the enemy doesn't want your voice and light to be there. Don't allow the enemy to pull you into needless uh, debate, casualty, and controversy just so he can remove your light and your voice. Do you see what I'm saying? Does this make sense? Daniel overcame the circumstances of their day by his faith. His faith in what? His faith in a sovereign God. It's faith in a sovereign God. Jesus would all men, he would have it that all men repent. God would love for every person to just hear what I'm sharing with you right now, to hear the honey and the goodness of God the Father and turn their heart to him. But you want me to tell you right now, some of us won't do it until the ground starts shaking under our feet. See, sometimes instead of receiving mercy and turning, you actually push God to having to allow the judgment to come before you'll cry out. It's just like, it's MMA people, come on. All right. Anyway, it's this thing called tap out. You know, whenever you feel like your arm's about to break, you eventually tap out. And spiritually, that's where some people are. They're just going to hold on. And hold on. And God's like, let me just take a step back for a moment. I'm not going to stop loving you. But I'm going to take a step back and show you what happens when I'm not involved. You will tap out. You will. Faithfulness. Daniel was a faithful man. How do you serve but not succumb? How do you serve this generation and not succumb to the evil that you see? What does it mean to even succumb? Essentially, it means to just to fail the testing. You fail the temptation that comes. But see, if we look at Scripture correctly, we realize 
that God has put his spirit inside of you, marking you with the power of the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing your inheritance in heaven, sealing you with redemption, filling you with his power. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that lives and dwells inside of you if you're born again. Then why do we run around scared that the cooties of the world are going to get on us? Why do we walk around more afraid of darkness than darkness afraid of the light? Because see, that's what happens whenever we're not really walking in our identity as sons and daughters. We walk around timid and afraid because you want to know why? I'm just going to go here for just a moment. We haven't allowed him to totally kill the flesh. Lost people don't get saved unless born-again people go there and share the truth with them. I know people get saved at church. I'm going to be really upfront with you guys. This is not the place for people just to get saved. This is the place for you to get trained. This is a place where you gather with the believers to be strengthened and encouraged, to hear the voice of God, and then to go be a light and truth in a dark world. See, we're supposed to go to places where there's darkness and be a light. This is the, the breakdown. See, this is how we have to engage culture. Daniel and his friends were engaging a culture of darkness. Now, if you look at their life, in chapter 2 of Daniel is the story of Nebuchadnezzar having a dream, a dream that was so terrifying that he tells all of his enchanters and his dream interpreters, he says, I've had a dream. I need you to interpret it for me. You're on my dreaming committee. Tell me what you, tell me what you got. You're on the dream team. <laughs> and, and these guys, you know, because they're rolling with the king, they're like, man, dude, yeah, I'm the dream interpreter, you know. It's like, I get to hang out with the king. You know, and, and they feel all good about themselves. And so, the, the, you know, King, King Neb shows up and he's like, man, I had a rough night's sleep. Man, I need y'all to interpret this dream for me. And, um, and they're like, well, tell us a dream. We'll be happy to tell you what those demonic spirits are filling us with would say to you. That's my version. <laughs> and King, King Neb is like, you know what? We're going to do it different this time. Because I really need to trust the accuracy of what I had. It was so terrifying. I just want you to, because y'all were so connected, I just want you to tell me what I dreamed and what it meant. <laughs> They're like, dude, I don't want to be on the dream team no more, man. Can, can, we, can we change this? You know, can I be cupbearer today? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Sorry, it doesn't work that way. You're on the dream team. <laughs> And if you don't tell me what I did, I'm going to um, have you cut in two. In fact, you know, I'm not just going to cut you in two. I'm such a ruthless king. I'm going to have you, like, divide up in so many pieces. We're going to scatter you to the ends of our, my, my kingdom. That's the kind of guy we're dealing with. And so you can imagine, man, in a moment, man, their stomach was in knots. These worldly, demonic sinners, are they're just terrified and afraid. And so news gets back to Daniel, who happens to be on the dream team too. 
But he must not be a cool enough cat to be right there with these other guys. Or he would have heard it from the king himself. So he's, he's apparently somewhere else. But news gets back to him that, hey, Daniel, we, um, we're all going to die. Because nobody can tell King Neb his dream. So now, Daniel shows up and he tells the king, he says, paraphrase here, essentially, hey, give me a little bit of time and I'll get an answer for you. And so you pick up right here, Daniel chapter 2, verse 17. Daniel is operating on a platform that his God is sovereign. God is connected to everything that is going on. So Daniel goes to his friends and he explains to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. What did this man do first? He went and gathered his friends together to go seek God. Because see, he realized the answer always lies with Yahweh Adonai, who is in charge of all the king. Decisions, He's in charge of everything that is happening. And then the Lord responds to Daniel, gives him understanding of the vision. And then I'm just going to fast forward just a minute and, and look right here in verse 27 of chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, verse 27. Daniel replies to King Neb. No wise man, enchanter, magician, diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven. Nobody can do what you're asking for, King Neb. You're about to whack everybody for something that's impossible. Let me tell you something. God has placed each and every one of us in a sphere of influence and he's putting impossible odds around us so you can say that to somebody. I don't have an answer for you. They don't have an answer for you. But I'm here to tell you right now, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. The heart of the king is in the hand of God. Look at verse 30. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me. Listen to this right here. Not because I have greater wisdom than any other living man. Come on, man. You want to know what happens to Christians? You get saved by grace, by the blood of the Lord and you are redeemed, and then how quickly we turn into self-righteous people. Daniel says, I'm no better than your evil, corrupt, demon-filled enchanters and diviners. I'm no wiser than any of them. Let me tell you something right now. Humility needs to run through the church. I'm no better than you, sir. I've just cried out to God. There is a God. 
And the only reason why I'm able to give you this answer to this mystery is because of God's greatness, not because of my wisdom, not because of my talent, not because I have anything to bring to the table other than bring the word of God. See how that removes self-righteousness? All of a sudden, we have no self-righteousness to bring to the table. All we have is humility. You find out further into the book of, of Daniel, and we'll hit it, but there is actually the son of King Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, becomes king, and the Lord kills him in 24 hours because of arrogance. Arrogance. We need a movement in the church that we understand the sovereignty of God and that we no longer succumb to these petty temptations any longer because we allow the spirit of God to crucify our flesh. And we realize that there's something great happening in us that we are now born again and we live out this by faith our faithfulness to his word and to him. And then as this happens, we can come to the Lord and we can petition and cry out for a lost and broken generation of people. See, we're called to engage this evil, wicked, perverse generation, not retreat to our churches and to our little Bible studies and, and, and feel like we can hide from them. We're not called to hide we're called to put the light on a lampstand and give light to everyone so they can see. You know, I want to encourage some of you right now with this as I get ready to close. You know, I see my friend Dustin sitting back there on the floor. I see you, buddy. Love you, man. Dustin is a, he's a teacher. His wife's a great teacher. I mean, she's been recognized. I mean, you know, as rookie of the year, actually, this last year. And, um, you know, I think, what would things be like if that light wasn't there? Placed in a position of influence teaching kids, engaging culture. What would it look like if you, businessman and woman, educator, doctor, lawyer, they're not all bad. I got friends who's, who's lawyers. They're good. <laughs> what if you trusted in the sovereignty of your God, placing you in circumstances where your Christianity is bigger. Your calling is bigger than just dividing up your sacred life and what you think is secular. What if your life is now just sacred because you are in Christ. That you no longer divide, well, I'm, I'm more holy now. And, and if I'm really gonna operate 
in, in a greater calling, then I somehow need to divorce myself from my secular job and take on the title of something that seems more spiritual like pastor or evangelist or apostle or teacher. What if the gift that is in you is to be an apostle to the education system? Are you hearing what I'm saying? See, this is what has been lacking in the body. This is what's been lacking, is the body operating in such identity as sons and daughters. Jesus, when he ascended into heaven, said that he would give gifts to men, apostle, prophet, teacher, evangelist, and pastor, to equip the body of Christ, to bring them to maturity. I'm here to tell you right now, those five-fold offices need to be operating in the body, not just in this building. Because see, Daniel was thrust to the king's table and because of interpreting that little dream, he began to have greater influence in the region. Now, I'm not gonna try to figure all this out with you tonight. I'm not gonna try to tell you what all this means. But allowing the sovereignty of God to really build in your heart and your life is critical as we move forward. It is critical. It's critical to your faith. You wanna know why? Because I can guarantee you right now, when the children of Israel were put into captivity, they begin to go, where is the God our prophets talked about? Where is the God that delivered us from Egypt? Where is the God that took us through the Red Sea? How is it that we're now in bondage? And so you can be a voice that brings truth when you understand to say, God is not caught off guard. And if he has allowed something to happen, he didn't just allow something to happen. He's in complete orchestration of what's going on. He's in complete orchestration of what's going on. And you know what that causes me to do? That causes me to do a couple things. One, just be real. If bad things are happening, am I hitting my knees and getting counsel from the one who's in control? Or do I just get on Facebook and just rant and rave about what I don't like? Because see, that doesn't fix nor change our circumstances. But those who go to God, who is in charge of all mysteries, can actually bring revelation to a generation of people that are in desperate need for truth and life. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? In the next few weeks to come, we'll talk about how this sovereign God protects his people and how he delivers his people and how he's a warrior and a judge. We're going to get into those parts and those pieces. But I felt it was critical tonight, first of all, to answer the most basic question you've got to get solidified in the core of your being. Is your God big enough to be in control of it all? Or is your God being surprised? Or is your God somehow 
having to respond to the evil that's happening in the earth because he really didn't know it was going to happen. Let's just bring it home for just a moment. What you're dealing with, it's your job, with your family, with your friends. Is your God sovereign enough to show you and to reveal to you how he's working in your life? I feel this really strong for some of you. Some of you feel like, well, if God gets me out of this bad thing, then, 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 you know, then you'll really believe then. It's not how it works. See, when you truly fall on your face and you repent and you cry out to God and you, you, you really get real and you're, Lord, I'm a sinful person. I need you to save me. Then you put your life in the hands of God's decisions. Because the truth of the matter is, you don't know what's best for your life. He does. You don't know if you're going to get to draw your, when you're going to draw your last breath. You don't know when you walk out of these doors if you're going to get home tonight. I'm sorry. But here's what you can know tonight. Is that you can place all of your hope, all of your faith, and the one who can truly save, and you can trust because he gave you his son to die for your sin, that if he did not withhold the most precious, most priceless thing in the Godhead was his son, then why would he withhold any good thing from you? But don't play games with God and think that you can somehow bargain with him or reason with him when he already knows the intent of your heart. He already knows the, the weakness of your faith. He already knows in the same way he looked at Peter and said, Peter, you'll deny me three times before the cock crows. And Peter denied. He said, no, Lord, there's no way I could do that. I'll die for you. Be careful, friend that your heart's not filled with pride and arrogance to think that you even know your own heart. You don't. King David prayed, Lord, show me the wicked ways of my heart that I might not sin against you. I'm telling you, it's time for the church to lay before the Lord and lay and say, God, search me. If you find something in me that's not pleasing to you, then remove it, I pray. See, God will respond. God will respond to a prayer like that. A prayer that's not trying to make deals with God, but a prayer that's simply trying to surrender. Is there anybody here tonight? Say, Pastor Arnie, I just want to surrender tonight. Would you just lift your hand? Just with everybody's head bowed. You say, I, I'm tired of fighting, man. I'm tired of trying to make a deal with God. I just need to surrender. I see your hands. Is there someone else? Say, I just want to surrender to this sovereign God that his plans are perfect. His plans are perfect. The Lord sees your hand. This isn't between me and you. This is between you and God. Father, I just pray right now for every person that lifted their hand. 
that God, I pray that you would meet them right where they are. That they're going to surrender their destiny to you tonight. Lord, I pray for this body and I pray for those who are watching that we would trust in your infinite wisdom. That we would begin to serve a wicked generation and stop casting judgment, but start finding answers that only God can give to the lost and the broken. Would you guys stand to your feet? If you're here tonight and you would like someone just to pray with you, to agree with you in prayer, just want to open up this altar area up to you to just to come and to pray. We'll have our prayer team. If you guys, some of you on the prayer team would just come up here. I'm going to have the prayer team up here just to agree with you. If you want to invite Jesus into your life, if you need someone to agree for healing in your body, if you're going through something, you need someone just to pray with you. That's what we're here for. We want to pray with you because I believe prayer changes everything. Prayer is the only thing that changes things. When Daniel prayed, God answered. Man, I just feel something here just for a moment. You guys just hang with me for a second. Father, I pray that you would have mercy on this generation. Father, I pray and repent for the sins of this generation. Lord, as a Christian and as a church, We have cast judgment on those who are lost while we yet continued to resist your will and to sin against you, God. Lord, I pray that you would deliver us 
from temptation and evil. I pray, God, that our nation would not have to experience the kind of captivity that this book reveals that happened to the children of Israel. I pray, God, that it would not be said of us that we chose to not listen to your prophets. Lord, I pray that we would be a generation that would humble ourselves and ask you to heal our land. That God, I pray that we would not have to wait until our enemy is at our front door before we cry out and ask for mercy. I feel very strong to say to you, church family, that when we stop telling our sons and daughters what God has done for us and what we have been through, that is a generation that forgets. If a man who had served in World War I or World War II were to look at our condition or our founding fathers would look at our condition, they would think it would be impossible. But when our sons and daughters are not taught why we have the freedom we have, then it can be taken from them. The reason why we've called these men to pray every Saturday for the next two months is because I believe the Lord showed us in a very clear dream that somebody had to pay a price, and I believe it begins with our men manning up the same way Daniel manned up and he went to God. I feel I'm under the weight of the Holy Spirit right now. I realize we're over time, but I feel the weight. We ask you a question. When will it be compelling to you to no longer be distracted and to get serious with God? Is it when you've had all of your freedom taken from you? Is that when you'll get serious with God? Will you get serious with God when your enemy is actually taking your life? This is not gloom and doom. This is reality of the world we live in. This is the reality. But see, it's not a reality of gamers. Because see, they sit on a couch and they eat Twinkies and play video games. That's not reality. Someone will pay a price for our freedom. And I believe that men 
who lay prostrate before God, the way Daniel did three times a day, can get answers for our problems. And it's not gonna come any other way. It's only gonna come whenever we lay before him. Father, I pray, God, that our, I pray, God, I pray that we can have joyful, happy days. God, I pray that we can come to a place where there's celebration again, God, that we're not living in superficial celebration while our enemy encrouches upon our freedom. Lord, I pray, God, for this body of people to be a catalyst of leaders that would sound the alarm, that would live a different life that would live a different destiny out in front of a lost generation of people. I'm not trying to be extreme tonight, guys. I'm not trying to be extreme, but I assure you, Jeremiah prophesied captivity and it came. Put all of your hope in this sovereign God Lord, I praise you. Would you, would you guys please, uh, please, would you guys just put your hands out to the Lord? And if you mean it, man, don't do it just because I'm telling you. I'm just, if you want it, if you want to come into agreement, just put your hands out before the Lord. Would you just in your way, just, just tell him, God, I surrender. I surrender my heart. I would you be real with him and just tell him that you haven't been a follower, a, a good follower? I mean, just be real, man. Maybe you haven't been. And just, just surrender to say, Lord, you're sovereign. You know, what I, you know who I am, what I've been doing, and you need to change me. I believe God will meet you right there, friend, in that place of transparency. I believe God will meet you right there in that place of brokenness. Just say, I surrender my heart. I surrender my mind and I surrender my body to love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and with all my strength. Lord, I pray that you would seal this over each and every person that is in this place tonight. We love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' mighty name. Can we give the Lord some praise in this place? We love you, Jesus. We love you, God. God bless you guys. I'm sorry I kept you a little bit longer than normal. If you need prayer tonight, feel free to come. We would love to pray with you up here with this prayer team.